We all know that the only thing that is changing faster than technology is customers' expectations. Financial institutions are going to have to make a choice and say, at some point I have innovated the legacy platform enough. I have taken it as far as it goes. I need to start with a day one on true innovation. Hello and welcome to Vnext Remix, the Veritrend podcast formerly known as Banking Remix. I'm your host, Katie Janos-Small, the CEO and founder of Upana. We're coming to you in 2022 with a new name and a slightly mm, remixed format, but we're still keeping what you know and love about the show. This year, we'll still be talking digital finance, but we'll be alternating episodes between English and Spanish. With that in mind, welcome to our first episode in English for 2022. Our special guest today is payments guru, Oscar Munoz. Oscar is chairman of Worldwide Payment Services, the Puerto Rican payments processor that he launched in the mid-1990s. Over his career, Oscar has held senior leadership positions at major global payments companies, including Fiserv and ACI Worldwide. Oscar tells me he's the most boring guy at parties because he has nothing else to talk about but payments transformation. So lucky for us, digital transformation is all we talk about too. So Oscar, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Katie. And, and, and yes, if this was any other party as a guy that has been doing payments since 19 years of age, I don't think I get too many people dancing. But in this particular <laughs> party, apparently, it's going to work out just fine. So thank you for having me. Indeed. Hey, Oscar, um, we're kicking off 2022 right now. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? You know, Katie, I, I do I do have a few, and, and they're going to be a little maybe off of what you would expect. So the first one after so many years doing this is is that I, I want to be present for my family. You know, I, I, have, I have KPIs pretty much for everything I do in life, but how I am doing as a husband and as a father to my beautiful kids, I, I haven't really been tracking that too much. So I... I have a lot to learn from them. So, you know, the first thing is I want to make sure that I can start this year by doing simple, basic things like having dinners together, getting some, you know, getaways down, down and there, and then grow from there. And, and then I always have, every year, I always have resolutions regarding revenue growth and fitness. And I, you know, obviously have some, some items that help me to push myself to higher level of performance there. And then I will say... The next one that I'm adding this year that really on top of, of the shelf is, is I have that resolution to, to assure a coherent, healthy, and, and happy life for my team. You know, I, I, want them, I want that blessing of having people that enjoy what they do as much as I do. And I like that simplicity. Wow, that's a, a very well-rounded set of resolutions, I have to say. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Now, ahead of this interview, you told me that we are on the verge of a payments technology renaissance. So what does that mean? We all know that the only thing that is changing faster than technology is customers' expectations. However, somehow, the payment platform technology that enabled these things in the front end continues to be the same names and technology that was built 26, 30 years ago. So... So even the technology that some of the fintechs are using behind that customer experience and their front-end dashboards that look really nice continues to be legacy systems. So, 
you know, you look about these systems that were written back then in COBOL and that were, you know, generally fit for purpose at the time, right? So back, back then, the only thing you needed to worry about was to move bin numbers. So out of convenience, I think what the world has done is that they have continued to evolve legacy, which the challenge is that that can only take you so far. So now for the next year, you know, I've been blessed to, with this opportunity to be a part of a project where the right decision was made to start from scratch, from ground zero, right? So writing a whole new platform that will leverage the technology that we have available today. So, so without any concerns about what numbers we're going to report, right, to the market, because you know, just concerned and concentrated on that one goal of building what a dream platform would look like if you were to build it with the technology that is available today. And, and I think that's, that's when we get to separate, even in my previous experience, for, from what we're doing now, which is before, you know, you have to, numbers can only go up, and you have to make sure that, how do you stop and then create when you have to keep producing and bringing those numbers? And to have this blessing to say, we're going to let everything that is running do what it does, and then we're going to build a team of people that is going to sit down and say, if you could dream of something with what you have available today, not trying to improve what was done 26, 30 years ago, you know, how would that look? And that's when I mentioned this renaissance. And, and I'll give you a quick summary of it, right? If, if you could build something with the technology that's available today, the first thing that you're going to have is that you're going to have something that is cloud native from birth, right? So, so it's not... It's a big difference. We all talk about the cloud. The cloud has been a hot topic and everybody talks, but it's a big difference about something that is forced onto the cloud, right? Cloud compatibility or, or cloud enabled and cloud native are very different things, right? To have a, you can put anything on the cloud, right? You can, you can rent some virtual servers and park them out there and then you're paying for that parking rent no matter what is happening. Or you can have a platform that is native and it's really just allowing you to work on processing cycles and pay as you need it. So it gives you that instant elasticity, it gives you the ability to really leverage the capabilities of the cloud providers. So big difference. You were to build something with technology from today, first is cloud native from the start. The second thing is that if you, you were to build something what is available today, it will be 100% written in microservices. And that is, again, a big, difference on technology, right? So you will have 100% microservices and that will be 100% exposed via APIs. And that's obviously going to give you all those benefits of easier and lighter implementations and updates. You're going to have faster changes and customizations. You're going to have greater scalability, right? And then I think, you know, everybody talks about distributed processing, but but nobody really had done something that is truly on the... And, I, and I'm, first it became real with the cloud, but the distributed processing that is needed today is to understand that nobody's going to flick a switch and move from, you know, from premise to the cloud, right? It's going to take a, a change to get there. So how do you, how do you really, that's when distributed processing becomes interesting when you are processing among cloud and on-premises parts of your ecosystem. So, so that distributed processing really takes hold when you have to account for the reality that it's going to take you day one, day two, day three to move. And I think... The biggest um, and extremely important one is, is that if you write something with today's technology, you get something that is providing you 100% uptime by design. So it's not just if it's completely on the cloud or it's on-premise or it's hybrid, 
you truly make disaster recovery something of the past, right? So you no longer have something to fall before something else can come up. We, we like to say active, active is no longer active enough, right? So if you can write something that is continually talking to each other, all these microservices are doing what is called self-awareness and optimization, and it's continuously checking and talking to each other, which one can take that transaction at that time and optimize that transaction, you have instances that are always working no matter what. So what that means is that even your scheduled downtime, you do during runtime. So new services, fixes, patches, things like that really come out uh, during runtime. So, and if you were, you know, ultimately I would say that obviously all this conversation is great, but you have to the risk innovation, the concept of rip and replace where, you know, take your box out and let me give you a new box is not really going to work. And even the commercial that are possible now through a platform that is so modular that you can consume the microservices that you need, right? You, you rent the studio, not the whole building, right? And as you grow to the next, you keep taking and you pay as you grow. Those things are truly a new paradigm, a new, we call it a renaissance when it comes to, to technology. So very excited to be part of that. And we have a very aggressive goal in progress of, of 10 very active projects that are gonna have to do with deploying this kind of technology across LATAM. Uh, and they're all involved in all these different things of wallets and cryptocurrencies and real-time payments and all this thing of boundary, you know, cross-border payments and value-added services. So very excited. Sounds super exciting. Um, and I, I, I'd love to hear more about the implications of this, right? I think it's really interesting to hear about you, how you're approaching it, right? Cloud native, microservices, etc. What are going to be the implications for the financial ecosystem of this um, of this new technology? Yeah, I, I think, um, Katie, it is is interesting because I I believe many financial institutions, as we speak right now, right? Because all these topics that we talked about, they're the hot items, right? COVID happened, we cannot cover that, you know, the world had changed completely. And and for many folks that had a platform and all of a sudden their digital transactions went 10x, 20x, and you didn't have the elasticity to respond to that. For folks that have been through a process and we know in LATAM some have been more public than others, systems down and, you know, there goes the whole ecosystem. Um, they understand that, that improving on legacy can only take you so far. So, so the implications is that everybody's going to have to take a moment and make that decision. Do I keep putting makeup on the core engine? And this is what is happening, right? You have great dashboards, you have great user interfaces, and that experience in the front end through mobile apps is looking beautiful, but that can only give you so much if the core of what you do was written 26, 30 years ago. So, for convenience, and depending, right, if you're talking government is one thing, if you're talking private sector is another thing, we always find ourselves in those, I've been in those positions of making decisions too, and where you have to say, well, you know, how do we, how do we hit the numbers? Do we, <laughs> do we sacrifice the future to save the present? But I really think financial institutions are going to have to make a choice and say, at some point I have innovated the legacy platform enough. I have taken it as far as it goes. I need to start with a day one on true innovation. And that true innovation, you know, is not going to be as challenging. So on the implications, I think 
banks have looked at it like this is open heart surgery, right? Well, we call, we call it rip and replace because it has that kind of sound. I want to have to take this thing and then put this other thing. And the reality is that if you if you do a, a smooth, there's a smooth path through it by just getting what you need. For example, if you're in a country and, and we're concentrating on Latin America, but it could apply to the rest of the world as, as this concept of real-time payments continues to take hold. And we all know that the message the way those messages are going to be written are going to be with using ISO 2022, right? So different places are making different decisions. We all know that ISO 8583 can only take, again, it was built to move bin numbers. Nobody ever thought when that was that format was created that you needed to move a digital signature. Whoever thought that you needed to move an image on your transactions, you know, how, how can you take anything from that business rail and bring it down to make routing and processing decisions? How can you get unlimited messaging that is required today based on the way transactions are working? So I think the implications is somebody's gonna have to say, okay, maybe my next innovation is not gonna happen by improving legacy, it's gonna happen by making a true renaissance, a true radical change into something new. Perhaps I don't need to change my whole world, right? Maybe I'm just going to put something that allows me to go from 85, 83 to 20, 22, and that's my day one. And then I start moving the rest of my ecosystem. And then I start considering moving things in the cloud. So, so it's going to be different implications from different people, depending on where their journey is at. But if one thing we all know is that one, the elasticity that you require on today's world where transactions are happening at that speed of thought, at that speed of life, is key you cannot have you know the bank no longer works from three to five right it has to be open all the time and you cannot have things fall down and you have to go into a active passive or even try to you know figure out how to how to keep things running um, and you need to be able to grow your business and concentrate on the things that matter and that is when a microservice that allows you to just take what you need and what you want to improve becomes key wonderful um Oscar, this project overall sounds really interesting. When will we uh, see some public applications of it? What's the what's the timing? Yeah, we're 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 staying very very stealth because you know what it is in marketing. We all sound the same in the front end. Anybody's Superman in PowerPoint. The difference is when you have to open the engine and say, "Well, can you really do what your PowerPoint is doing?" And we have been blessed. This uh, this project actually, the technology has been running for about four years. Um, and we are our largest client. So it's, it's something that is not new. It's something that we're running and, and successfully so. And truly through the past four and a half years, we had 100% availability, zero downtime. And we did have one data center go down and we put the platform to the test and we were able to, to come out to the things that we promised to the market. So what we're doing is uh, we're going to wait for half 2022 so to make some announcements all the projects that we're talking about are active right now in, in different levels of that conversation so i'm hoping to make some really interesting announcements as the year goes through in next 2022 wonderful can't wait to hear more about it um so then oscar to to wrap up we'll move to the five rapid fire questions are you ready uh, i'm ready i'm ready Which book are you reading right now? Uh, Four Disciplines of Execution by Franklin Covey. 
Wonderful. What's the best piece of professional advice that you've received? Um, this one is hard to go too fast, Katie, but I, I would say too, right? I, I, I have a compilation of things that I read. I read a lot. And I would say Jeff Jabuki, right? Who made the biggest transaction in our payment uh, industry at the time when he bought First Data. I asked him, you know, when, when was that aha moment for him? Right. I was trying to work with a lot and really trying to understand how do I get myself to that next gear of execution. And, and he gave me, an, and, I, and I quote on this because he was very interesting. He said, my goal was to outwork everyone. 80 hours a week gives me a 30% edge over someone working 60 and 100% for someone putting in 40. Do that long enough and it gave me much more experience and education in the same time frame than most. And some luck nothing special so that is Jeff Jabuki and then you know the other one that I will add to that is that you you read a lot about Steve Jobs and his comment was clear your time is limited so don't waste it living someone else's life so those are the two advices I mix together to run my life with. amazing um, what is the app that you use most for personal use, I, I use uh, on Alter Athletics. It's a fitness app to track my, mm. my weight and fitness condition. And there's many of those uh, around. We are what we track. And I, I like to stay on top of what I'm doing on that level. And then for business, definitely LinkedIn. Wonderful. Oscar, when will we stop using cash? I'm, I'm going to do one better if we have a few minutes in here, Katie. I actually asked this question. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm connected to over 27,000 people in my LinkedIn. They all happen to be within the payments arena. I wasn't an open, open LinkedIn kind of guy, right? I was very specific to the folks that are listening to that, to that topic. And I was really surprised two months ago, exactly. I asked the same exact question. And I got five, I was thrilled with this. I got 558 votes out of 23,919 views. So, and when I look at the 558 votes, it is who is who in our industry, right? I mean, this really becomes an official, unofficial kind of survey when it comes to this question. And I'm gonna share with you the answer because it was, for me, it was mind boggling. One, 41% of the people in our electronic payment industry that answer, 41% of them believe cash will never become extinct in our society. Then I was very surprised that 43% thought that it would disappear within 20 years. Half of those say within 10. So 21% of that 43 say will disappear within 10. The lowest amount was 16% of the voters that say it will be, it will disappear within 30 years. So I was in that later uh, group. I actually think even longer, if I show you here in the camera, it's a, I was a boring guy that in middle school, this book is from 1972, 1972. It's called the Cashless Society. When I was in eighth grade, I wrote a paper about the Cashless Society. And this is 50 years later and it hasn't gone. So I would say it's going to, just not in my lifetime. Amazing. And for the people who are listening and, and, and can't see the book that Oscar just held up, it was um, the Cashless Society by Robert Hendrickson. 50 yeah, years old. We're still waiting for 19, the day. Uh, yeah, 1972. Wow. You can look at that, yeah. Finally then, who else do you recommend we invite onto this show? Well, I would say at the, you know, at the higher level of seeing the payment industry from much larger shares in a global perspective, I would look at this leader, what I call level five leaders. Obviously, Jeff Jabuki, if you can get him in, 
He's now retired from Pfizer as a chairman and board member of many organizations. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much, Oscar, for joining us on VNext Remix. And I wish you all the very best for 2022. It has been my great honor and pleasure to be with you and your audience here today. So thank you for, for having me. Muchas gracias. Gracias a ti. And thank you for tuning in to this new series of VNext Remix. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and turn on notifications to be the first to hear the next episode. See you in our next episode in Spanish or the one after that in English. Bye.